This episode is brought to you by Harris Resort SoCal. Nestled against a rolling hillside and just down the road from Palomar Mountain, guests at Harris Resort SoCal can expect gorgeous views, friendly staff, available night and day to encourage everyone to have a great time. When I was there recently, I had a chance to dine at California's first and the nation's largest house kitchen. And it's true, the beef wellington and sticky toffee dessert are great. The restaurant is inspired by the hit TV show and features a menu approved by the Michelin star celebrity chef, Gordon Ramsay himself. Hope to see you all at Harris Resort SoCal in 2024. I'm Giacomo Traina, PhD, uh, and I'm a student in uh, Vietnamese American literature. I just submitted a dissertation on Vietnamese, the sympathizer. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over. Vietnamese American literature has come a long way, and this is one of the proofs that it's come a long way. Somebody from Italy, from Rome, has wrote a dissertation, and I know that your background is in Vietnamese American literature. And so what really inspired you to go down this long journey of Vietnamese American, studying Vietnamese American literature? Well, you know, uh, Kenneth, I do have actually uh, a biographical connection to the Vietnamese diaspora. So that is reason number one. Reason number two is that, of course, Vietnamese American literature itself, you know, uh, uh, boomed in the last few years. So uh, I think that before The Sympathizer, I wouldn't probably, you know, be able to uh, find something to do a dissertation on, like the sympathizer, uh, because the sympathizer uh, it was translated in Italian, and uh, uh, and also you know uh, right after the sympathizer, uh, the best we could do by Tibui was translated in Italian as well, and then Ocean Vuong, Hong uh, Hurt briefly gorgeous, and then of course you know uh, right now basically we have uh, Violet Keppersmith, we have uh, I mean she's not Vietnamese diaspora, but Nguyen Phan Quay Mai, The Mountain Sing. Uh, it was a huge success in Italy. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, the crazy thing is that my fiance, she's Vietnamese Italian. I'm with her since uh, 2009. So that's way before that the sympathizer was even written. Uh, and I had no idea whatsoever of, you know, the reality of, you know, the complexities of the Vietnamese American diaspora, let alone the Vietnamese American literary landscape, right? So when the sympathizer came out, I was like, you know, Oh my God, what's that? And then, you know, I just fell into the rabbit hole. Like, you know, every, uh, you know, I, I started like amassing this huge uh, personal collection of narratives uh, and perspectives and all that. And then, you know, uh, uh, long story short, I applied for this PhD program right on time. Like, you know, the the, the week before that I tried my application on Hurt We Are Briefly Gorgeous came up and I read it and I was like, Oh God, I have like this three masterpieces, like, you know, with Sympathizer, on Dirt Rebellion for Gorgeous, and the best we could do. Let me let me do something. And I was very naive, you know, because there is a ton of other stuff to read, right? Uh, and I did that in the in the in the in the in the following years. Uh, but eventually, you know, my dissertation uh, is 300 pages dissertation. Uh, uh, the initial plan was for me to write something about the three works I just mentioned, and uh, perhaps, you know, the whole landscape, the whole history of Vietnamese American literature. But, uh, you know, the sympathizer was just, you know, the, the stuff that I wrote on that, the stuff that I read on that, uh, and the possibility that you have a connecting the dots, you know, was so, you know, 
uh, I, I ended up having like 300 pages on the sympathizer alone. So I said, okay, I can, I, I do not have, you know, the time nor the energy to uh, do the same for uh, two other novels, uh, let alone, you know, the fact that it will be like some sort of 1000 dictionary like uh, dissertation. So I just ended up, you know, uh, focusing on that. Uh, and, you know, let me ask you something, Giacomo. Um, be, in undergrad, what did you study? Did you study a subject that was in literature, Italian literature? All right. So I am actually my, uh, I'm in uh, American studies. So I was specialized in American literature. And I did actually two dissertations on uh, Herman Melville's Moby Dick. So in a way, you know, I was, you know, I was already into that. But uh, this, this was something completely different. And in Italy, we have some uh, um, some very good specialists of Asian American studies and Asian American literature, but there was no one, you know, that did that before me. I think. I mean, you know, some some guys were, uh, 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 you know, they were writing something about that, but uh, uh, you know, a whole dissertation on a single piece, a single work of fiction of Vietnamese American fiction. I don't think, you know, and especially the fact that uh, uh, to in, uh, to, to prepare uh, my dissertation, uh, I, I took this uh, crazy thing that I decided to go and spend two months into the uh, uh, Vietnamese American diaspora, right? To, to go and visit Little Saigon. You know, this was the uh, the thing that really unlocked my my dissertation. The idea that I would, you know, I I, I wanted to connect the the text with the reality, and uh, because uh, I, I stress, you know, uh, I mean, I had connections with the diaspora, but. There is no Vietnamese diaspora in Italy. There is just, you know, like 3,000 people. Uh, and the fact that my extended family was part of that was probably, you know, the reason why I was so drawn to that. Uh, so I decided, so let, let, let me go and let, let me spend a lot of money out of my own pocket, by the way, uh, to see how it is. Like this creates like this uh, huge community in which they still have the yellow flag. Because, you know, you don't, you don't see the yellow flag in Italy. There is no yellow flag. There is no you know, no Paris by night, uh, no, nothing. So, yeah. So who did you reach out to when you decided, how many years ago did you decide to go to Little Saigon? All right. So the initial plan uh, was uh, sketched out in 2019 when I enrolled in the PhD program. And I was like reading all this stuff. Like I bought like, I don't know, 8,000 euros in books. Right. Uh, but then the pandemics happened, of course. And uh, uh, so my initial plan was going there like six months, staying in the U.S. for six months and traveling, you know, uh, crossing uh, state borders and all that. Uh, but uh, I had to wait two years. In those two years, uh, I read everything I could. I, I started like taking Vietnamese lessons and uh, Vietnamese language lessons. And uh, this was no easy feat since... Uh, I stress, you know, 3,000 Vietnamese Italians. So I had to find this lady in Turin that she gives me uh, weekly lessons. Right? And of course, you know, practice with my own extended family, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law. Uh, so uh, I had no plan whatsoever. I just, you know, I knew where the little Saigons were because I read all, uh, a lot of, you know, uh, studies about that. There is this uh, book called Little Saigons, Staying Vietnamese in America by uh, this professor, uh, Aguilar San Juan, I think the name is. Uh, and, you know, so I used that as a sort of blueprint to know, you know, where the places were. But I just, quite frankly, Kenneth, I just book the the you know the, the 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 not the hotels the motels because i you know i tried to <laughs> save as my money as, as, as i could uh and the 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 plane tickets uh and I, I you know i just went from place to place 
uh, uh, the only, you know, the, the, the first person I, I contacted was uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Tui Vodang, you know, from now she works at UCLA, but back then she was the, uh, 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 you know, she was the UCI, um, UCI Irvine, um, you know, the Southeast Ar Asian Archive. Archive curator right so uh i just you know just uh it was like the first name uh, uh, um i thought about because uh, you know i wanted to to see some archive and you know an archive of uh uh you know the the experiences of the diaspora in orange county was like the first the, the perfect entry gate right uh and then i contacted another professor from uci uh long bui long tibui because i, I actually wrote um uh, previously wrote um a review of this uh, uh, book that is called uh, "Returns of War," uh, and uh, so yeah, this. But you know, for the rest, I just you know basically went uh, and you know meet people uh, in the middle of the street, interviewed people. I was you know I was it was reckless because I truly had no plan. Uh, so well, and then of course uh, I I wrote to Viet Nguyen and I managed to interview him in Dallas and. Uh, uh, because of course the discussion was about this novel, uh, and then the other person I contacted was this uh, uh, former CIA chief analyst in Saigon, Frank Snap. He wrote this book, *Decent Interval*, and he is uh, 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 is listed as uh, uh, one of the sources for the sympathizer and the acknowledgments of the novel, and he's also the inspiration for one of the characters. And I knew that he was uh, that he read the novel, so I wanted to, you know, to ask him, uh, what, what do you think of this character that is based on you? And uh, so, yeah, this kind of, you know, this kind of random connections, and then, yeah. and then, and then, you know, uh, I interviewed as well uh, uh, Qin, uh South Vietnamese actress Qin, because she was connected to my father-in-law through Facebook. Uh, so, and you know, in a way, she's uh, she's also or uh, she she has something to do with the sympathizer. Right now, of course, she's featured in the TV series in the upcoming HBO adaptation. But back then, I discovered that she was supposed to be the movie consultant for Apocalypse Now, you know. Uh, so in a way, you know, the character in the novel uh, is a movie consultant uh, himself is loosely based on this kind of uh, 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 thing. Uh, and the fact is that uh, I actually used uh, Kuchin's uh, personal story to frame the Hollywood subplot of the sympathizer in the dissertation because her story is so great, so interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. Yukoma, what is your thesis about uh, for the dissertation? Uh, right. So, the, the title is The Voice That Carries Everything History and Confession in the Sympathizer. Uh, and it's actually a double thesis uh, because on the one hand, uh, I, yeah, you know, you have this this double thing of history and confession. So uh, I'm actually about to uh, write a book out of that, and the book is going to be in Italian, uh, and it's going to be uh, uh, solely devoted to one of the two parts of that. So history. So that's that's you know. Uh, but then you know, hopefully in the future, I will be able to uh, uh, turn the rest of the dissertation into a, a, a book, hopefully in English. Uh, that will be about the idea of confession that is truly the main driving force behind of that. Uh, so the idea is that, you know, uh, uh, the sympathizer uh, reframes history, you know, reframes Vietnamese history. And in a way, it turns that into a test bench for modern re reckonings about empire, stories, power structures, race, and all this stuff. Uh, and so, you know, uh, uh, I started from this, you know, seeing like uh, uh, realism or anti-realism strategies are uh, part of that, right? So how he managed to, uh, 
you know, reframe the post-war Vietnam in that in that way, you know, in a way playing with history. And uh, my my you know my argument is that he, he actually uh, uh, had like this uh, uh, enacted a series of thought experiments in which he had like uh, some sort of half shoot of himself, you know, because this this spy is in a way can be his alter ego, uh, and he put. You know this character uh, uh, on the set of a cinematic misrepresentation of war uh, to accomplish like this. I call that a fixed critical project in which you have like fiction and nonfiction. You know, essentially performing the same task. Uh, and you can like you know you, uh, you can put like this theories that theories that he uh, uh, he um, exposes in Nothing Ever Dies and his nonfiction works. You know, because he's also a leading scholar into practical tests with this character that is like, you know, seeing this stuff in real time. So this is like one thought experiment. The other thought experiment was using a, a real uh, a character, uh, uh, this Vietnamese spy from the 60s. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard about him, Pham Xuan An. I have, yeah. Yeah, and so he basically had, you know, because Pham Xuan An was originally supposed to leave Vietnam after 75, go abroad, because he he, uh, he was actually uh, he studied in Orange County at Orange Coast College, you know, that's exactly what the <laughs> where the uh, uh, UVSA fair takes place every year, right in that place, you know. Yeah, and that's also the, the crazy thing is that that was, yeah that's also Costa Mesa, right? That's also the place in which I think uh, 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 Catch Twenty Two by Joseph Heller, uh, in part, you know, there is part of the novel that you know there is a a scene there uh so uh yeah he was uh so Pham Sonan actually stayed back in 75 uh and so so uh, Viet Thanh Nguyen uh, uh took like Pham Sonan and put it on the other side of the bamboo curtain and you know and turned him into something completely different so yeah this is the history part the confession part of the dissertation is about the fact that uh, a confession, you know, as a genre, is something that actually dates back to the dawn of uh, Western literature, but not only Western literature. Uh, so you have like Saint Augustine, you have Rousseau, right? And then, of course, Malcolm X. And, and this is also, you know, one of the main American genres. I mean, Moby Dick itself is a confession in a way. Uh, but also in the novel, confession is based on the historical document, you know, these papers that they had in Vietnamese communist re-education camps, the quote-unquote uh, confessions, they were like personal histories. So Viet Thanh Nguyen uh, did accomplish the, this thing, this, you know, this genial thing of using like an instrument of torture, because that was the confession was, right, in re-education camp, it turned that into a narrative device. Uh, and that was, you know, the main point of that. So in order to, you know, to, to, to uh, enforce this, uh, uh, you know, I draw a lot from the history of the war in Vietnam and the Vietnamese history in general. Uh, and so, yeah, it was that, you know, that's, that was the main point. But, you know, since my dissertation was originally supposed to be about Ameri Vietnamese American literature at large, I threw into that all kind of connections and, you know, references and, uh, because I, you know, I truly wanted to to root the whole work into this frame. Because I stress in Italy, this is, you know, not something that everyone does. So, yeah. You know, so when you go up against a, a dissertation board and they're trying to kind of challenge you and ask you questions about your thesis, how do these people know enough about the history of Vietnamese American literature 
to question you or to understand if your framework is correct or not correct or if it's how do they go about and i'm i'm my I, my apologies for not being uh, for being ignorant and not understanding the way these things work but as i imagine it somebody has to, or a team of people have to understand a little bit about the work in order to question somebody who's presenting the work right yeah well you know that is actually a very good question uh and uh well Admittedly, I cheated a little bit because, you know, uh, yeah, uh, you know, my university is Italian. I'm also, I have a co-tutel with a Polish uh, university as well. So I actually have an international degree. But, you know, I think that this is the same for Poland as well. I mean, they have a Vietnamese, uh, a Polish, Vietnamese Polish community there. But nonetheless, you know, no one in the, in the board was actually on my, my level, you know. But this actually, you know, this is part of the game, even if, you know, other kinds of, because when, when you do a PhD dissertation, you are supposed to be the one that knows the most about that. Mm. So it was actually, you know, it was more, I mean, my, my PhD defense, it was a little bit like our interview. I mean, they were like curious. They were like asking me questions mm. about that, right? So I, uh, just one lady uh, threw me up a little bit, you know, uh, um, uh, curveball. That's the way you say this, right? Yep. Uh, when, when she, but she asked me a question that wasn't related to uh, Vietnamese American literature per se. It was about the fact that, uh, about you know this this thing that I truly based a lot of my work on what uh, Dr. Nguyen personally told me. So uh, uh, during the defense as well, I was always like saying, "Yeah, Vietnam Nguyen personally confirmed this to me." Yeah, and she told me, "Yeah, but you are sure that you know." Uh, uh, because there is this old thing of the death of the author, right, in literature. So this idea that the text and the author, I mean, you know, that you can basically. Uh, that you, if you have to ask the author for everything, I mean, what's your, what's the point in doing this thing, right? Uh, but you know, I think that uh, I think that it's actually impossible not to do that in this particular case because Vietnamian is also a scholar, a leading scholar. So, in doing a dissertation about the sympathizer, was like you know being some sort of medicine uh, intern trying to diagnose the, the 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 chief of medicine right <laughs> because you know he had he has all the answers so there was like a super challenge and this was you know very 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 funny to do so yeah this was basically yeah, i told the lady <laughs> what what do you think draws you so much to vietnamese american literature well uh in a way you know uh, I'm also drawn to diasporic Vietnamese literature and to Vietnamese literature as well. Uh, problem number one, I'm not that fluent in Vietnamese. I mean, I can't, my Vietnamese is very poor. Uh, it's basically, you know, a four-year-old level or a four-year-old that can, you know, that knows some very complex words, but still. Uh, that, you know, I command, uh, I speak French as well. Uh, and But, you know, mainly I am, before even be getting before Vietnamese American literature, I was into American literature. I'm still is, and I still am. Uh, so I think that uh, the first answer to your question will be that uh, uh, I'm interested in, in the U.S. even before being interested in Vietnam. So you know this crazy combination, you know this Vietnamese American framework, is truly truly instructive in that in that capacity. And the other. Uh, the other question is that Vietnamese American culture, I mean, we are talking about like how many? Two million people, right? So, I mean, there are like 
every month you have like one book to to buy right now i have you know i i will show you if i could uh, i have like a, a whole shelf full rife with vietnamese american narratives and i still have to read like hundreds of them so whereas for instance, in Italy, uh, the Vietnamese Italian diaspora, to my knowledge, produced basically three books, and what and I am probably the only guy that read <laughs> all of them. Right? Uh, there is just one this little thing that came out in '78, and you know, was basically virtually non-existent. I mean, I am the only one that read that. So, yeah, that's the one. And the, you know, and the, the the thing is that also the way in which you know Vietnamese American culture is you know uh how the community is how you know they're the you know the anti-communism and all that the roots of the community and the ongoing uh, uh inter intergenerational differences all of that is truly truly a fertile ground for narratives right and i think that you know because of the u.s because of the, the the South Vietnamese experience because the Vietnamese diaspora because of you know all of that it's not coincidence that the, Viet, the, the Vietnamese American narratives are like the leading narratives in the diaspora right now there are a lot of great stuff from Canada from France from Australia I'm not trying to downplay any of that but you know it's not coincidence that you know the sympathizer on uh, her briefly gorgeous the best we could do and all that all that came out you know out of the u.s because of you know the history when you uh think about your career in the next 40 years how will you unfold the material how will you present the material to students uh will it be in italy will it be in another country what are you planning to teach well short answer will be damn if i know <laughs> because right now i am you know uh, i am in a very very early stage of my career i do not have a career right now but let's say that you know let's let's dream let's say that i get tenure let's say that i have you know i get uh, I, hopefully i will i would love to to stay here in italy uh, for a lot of reasons but you know one of them is that uh, i mean you know let's face it uh you do not need an Italian white guy coming to, to the U.S. <laughs> schooling people about the history of Vietnamese that, America. That, right? that is why I asked the question, because right? <laughs> where, where can you be of value and of service with this Ph.D.? That, driving me, <laughs> that, that is driving the interview the whole time. I'm like, what do you do with this sort of yeah. this, uh, this amount of knowledge? I mean, you know, uh, a lot of my colleagues uh, uh, in Italian academia and the uh, American studies, they uh, they go to the U.S., but they usually they specialize in Italian American history, right? Uh, and all that. Uh, so I think that you know, my uh, my main interest will be to stay here and you know continue the mission. Uh, and if I had like this possibility of like having a class of my own, right? I would love to, uh, uh, to 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 build like this curriculum in which I would love to 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 you know to teach the Vietnam War in literature in American literature, uh, uh, and I would love to uh, balance you know the Vietnamese uh, uh, the, Viet the the Vietnam centric narratives with uh, uh, history and with uh, the uh, American veterans accounts to show you know uh, the complexities of that. And if I you know truly 
if I, you know, if we have this 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 chance, I would love to true into the cattle Vietnamese narratives as well, the ones that were of course translated into English or in Italian, by the way. Uh, there are uh, like the Sorrow of War by Bao Nin or uh, Zhuang to Huang or uh, the General Retires, the short story, like all that. You know, uh, I would love to have this class, you know, in which I could like teach the, the war in Vietnam and the Vietnamese diaspora as a whole. And but in order to to get that, you know, it's, uh, it's not going to come very, very soon. So, yeah. For, for now, it's just a dream. But I would love to, you know, for instance, to have a conference about that in the future. Uh, and I would love to, uh, uh, you know, to invite uh, people from the U.S., from the diaspora, uh, and try to, you know, bridge this gap to to build something here. Uh, even if, of course, you know, I'll, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to be easy because I, I stress, you know, there are very few people that are doing this here. Yeah, and Italy was not really a a big uh, component of the Vietnam War um, in the seventies, and the, obviously they were allies of, of the U.S. You know historically, but you know they didn't play a, any major part. So I imagine that when you only have three thousand diasporic Vietnamese in Italy, the impact of having a degree like yours um, is is limited in scope of interest to students who are coming up in Italian university, right? Yeah, well, you know, the thing is that first, those 3,000 uh, Vietnamese Italians, like half of them are, uh, 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 you know, second generation. And the majority of them are actually migrants from Vietnam. They're not refugees. The South Vietnamese refugees in Italy, probably you can, I mean, I, I do not want to say that I know all of them, but I know, I know most of them. Yeah, there are in the hundreds, right? Uh, we have some interesting connection we as uh, italians we have some some interesting connections to the to the history of the vietnamese uh of the of the war in vietnam actually uh you know very hidden stories like the first one is that there was actually a peace attempt in 65 by our uh some parts of our uh uh political parties and and poland you know like because as you rightfully said we were american allies and the Polish was, uh, you know, they were in the socialist bloc. And so they tried this uh, uh, mediation that was called Operation Marigold, in which they tried to, uh, you know, uh, stop the escalation of the war. But it was it was pointless. And the second the second uh, uh, um, the second uh, episode was is more interesting because I know actually know people connected to that. In 79, if I'm not mistaken, there was this mission by the Italian Navy in which they sent three ships in the south. China Sea to rescue Vietnamese refugees, and we we had no business whatsoever in doing that. <laughs> so you know, just they, this guys they traveled from the you know the other part of the world and they rescued like this hundreds of refugees and this many of them of course resettled in France or Germany and the U.S. Uh, but some of that stayed, you know, and I I know many of them. So yeah, apart from that, thing is that actually you know I actually wrote an article about that is the fact that Italy was an American ally during the war, but the widespread consensus in the 60s and 70s was that, you know, all Italians, they were basically, they had little to no sympathy for the U.S. In that case, it was a lot of, you know, the war, the anti-war movement and all that. Uh, and there was this orientalist fetishization, this mysticism, you know, this... Uh, 
fascination for the uh, the Vietnamese communist cause. Uh, even the Catholics, even the Italian Catholics had that. So there was a lot of uh, you know confusion. And when the the boat the boat exodus started, uh, you know a lot of people were like befuddled, like why are this guy leaving, right? You know, so there was a lot of ignorance about that. Uh, and as and the, the funny thing is that uh, on the one hand, uh, we had this you know this uh, wartime sympathy for the Viet Cong. But on the other end, in the 70s and 80s, you know, Hollywood started to turn to turn uh, war trauma into spectacle. And the American movies about the Vietnam War had a huge following here. And the crazy thing is that, you know, many of these movies were perceived to be as anti-war movies. So you had like this, as this is something that Vietnam Nguyen himself acknowledged, like in an interview, that you had like this leftist Italians that are like, they were like fans of Apocalypse Now. And at the same time, they were like rallying for the for for Ho Chi Minh, right? So <laughs> this, yeah, right? And, you know, this is like a very, very widespread wow. thing. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But because as you, as you said, you know, with no Vietnamese Italians around, how can you dismantle this, right? Wow, what an interesting yeah. point. Now, yeah. um, you and your extended family on, on your uh, wife's side, um, there's a you know there's there's a lot of people on that you know in, in in Italy that are Vietnamese of Vietnamese descent. What is the difference, in your opinion, um, between this block of people in Italy, Vietnamese Italians versus Vietnamese Americans? We sort of what are some of the characteristics? of the differences oh gosh right you know it's completely different in a way and very similar in, in, in another right yeah. it's crazy like uh i mean you know uh it's different the, the the american diaspora is very different from the french diaspora too and the german diaspora too and we're talking about a lot of vietnamese of french vietnamese people german vietnamese people uh and you know in italy basically i mean i can speak about single individuals you know i can do that so it's it's, it's, uh, it's crazy but like let's take the german diaspora for, for one second and uh well for one there were two german diasporas you know the east germany and west germany uh and uh so like my uh my fiance she's not my wife yet uh <laughs> we're working on it. uh my fiance's family uh part of her uh family lives in germany actually and uh, so i know that firsthand uh Sometimes you can see stuff in, in in Germany, like there were like this uh, mass demonstrations uh, uh, against Chinese government, I think, and you could see like the red flag and the yellow flag, like one alongside the other, right? Can you imagine something similar in the U.S.? Not at all, <laughs> right? Not at the all. French French diaspora is more complex. I mean, uh, it's basically it depends on. The place in which you are, but you know, I'm, I'm no authority on that, so I don't want to speak on that. But uh, in the case of Italy, uh, as I as I told you, the first time uh, uh, I was able to see a yellow flag in Italy, it was in this. They had this commemoration of this uh, rescue mission from the Navy that I told you about in October, and I saw a yellow flag in Italy. It was like, whoa, this is crazy, right? <laughs> uh, because it's basically there is no community. That's that's the key. Like in Rome, we have some sort of community because we have of course the priests and the nuns right uh that is the thing and i actually met with uh, the uh, bishop in Hue when i was in vietnam they had some family connections and of course my uh my my fiance's grandfather was the south vietnamese ambassador to rome and to the vatican right 
And so he was the ambassador in the 50s under the, the government of Ngo Den Ziem. Uh, and Ziem was Catholic, obviously. So, you know, uh, the ambassador to the Vatican was a pretty important position to cover, I guess. Um, so, yeah, this there is this uh, community. Uh, uh, sometimes we, we went there and uh, we went to the uh, Tate celebrations with the nuns and all that. Uh, but the crazy thing is that in Italy, sometimes you have this uh, crazy connection in which you see like South Vietnamese refugees literally partying at the Vietnamese embassy under the portrait of Ho Chi Minh. You can see that because there are no other Vietnamese people to do party with. Right? So, you know, uh, many people, you know, they bury the hatchet, I guess. Other people, like, they make do with that or, you know, they pretend that they are, you know, not seeing that. Because, you know, in Rome, you have, like, three Vietnamese restaurants, three, Canada. And there's a three million people town. And, you know, I don't want to throw no shade at anyone, but they are not good. <laughs> My mother-in-law, she's way better. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. <laughs> well, and then after place. you go to Little Saigon, you cannot, you know, can't go back, you know. Oh yeah, anywhere. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, uh, I would uh, even argue sometimes Little Saigon restaurants are the best in the world, you know. Definitely, and I can, if you want to, I can like throw you a a, a list. <laughs> uh, uh, but I, you know, I tried some pretty good Vietnamese food in France as well, and in Poland. In well, Poland. Here's why I say that about Little Saigon in California, in, in yeah. Southern California, because of the produce that we produce locally, the farms that we have, the way meat is produced, the way meat is bought and sold. You know, it's very different than the meat and produce in Vietnam or the meat and yeah. produce in anywhere else in, in, in the Midwest of the United States. Or You can't beat the, the produce and the meat of California because it's you know it's it's farm produce and it's it's very well thought out and well, the how, way, how about taxes though because they have a lot of cattle there right they do but they don't you know and these are there's gonna be fighting words for people from Houston <laughs> yeah I don't want to you know <laughs> I, I would I would argue we have the biggest amount we have the largest uh, population in and now the other debate is San Jose and and yeah. and Orange County that that's the two contentious uh, uh, regions of Vietnamese food, and which I'm not gonna go out on a limb and say San Jose or or Southern California, which one's better. But they're 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 up there, and so I'll lump the entire state of California. The Vietnamese food in California is probably the best in the world, in my opinion. And oh yeah, yeah. The reason is because of the produce and the temperature, the climate, what what's produced here, and and the amount of thinking that goes into the quality of the of the produce and the meats is just, you know, different than what's being produced in Vietnam historically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I tried Vietnamese food in Vietnam as well. And I can, I second to that. Yeah, the one in Southern California, the one in the ones in Orange County are like the best restaurants. Best restaurants. Yeah, yeah it's that's, the that's best. Incredible stuff. It's just the standards are, are much higher and the food is just, and it's the same, you know, I mean, if you think about it, it's the same 
if the level of the chefs and the level of the restaurants were the same in Ho Chi Minh City or, 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 or Saigon and, and Little Saigon here, it's just the produce. You know, the produce is, is, is superior. You know, you get really good produce in California. So it's hard to beat. You know, the only problem is that uh, is the American portions. Like, I, I hate to waste food, but I always have to leave a little bit because it is just too much. Stuff. A lot of food. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, if, if you compare that to the stuff that you get in Vietnam or elsewhere, is, uh, I mean, a bowl of pho in Southern California is like this, right? <laughs> you know, somehow I want to weave American hip-hop into our conversation because we uh, all for it <laughs> we spoke about that and you know unfortunately we didn't get a second time to meet while you were in la uh to go to the crenshaw areas to go to the um to the places where you know we talked about where hip-hop uh predominant like dr dre snoop dogg uh tupac where they all kind of they all kind of come from and, and this, these are the neighborhoods that i grew up in um and i wanted to to discuss this with you, do you follow any of the trajectory of Viet rap? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, actually, I gotta admit that the only Vietnamese American or Vietnamese music I ever listened to is actually uh, you call that the the yellow music, right? The uh, um, you say you know the the stuff that they made in the seventies, right? Yeah, Nhat Dinh Jin. It's pre-war. Exactly. Reward music, exactly, or you know the Paris by Night stuff, yep, because yep. Uh, you know I fell in love with it. I don't know why, uh, but I'm not. You know, uh, I actually I think I listened to some some songs from Vietnamese uh, rap artists when I was in Vietnam, and it was pretty good. And uh, I actually, you know, I love this Vietnamese American R&B singer. Her name is Twee. Twee. Yep. And my favorite guy is this Vietnamese Canadian rapper. His name is Anders. I've never heard, heard of him. Anders or Anders? Anders. Anders. A N D E R S. Vietnamese, Vietnamese, good. Vietnamese Canadian rapper? Canadian. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's very what good. Is, what does he rap about? <sighs> Not Vietnamese stuff, if I have to be honest with you. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, if you, I mean, it's basically like some sort of uh, the weekend style kind of, mm. you know. And how did you uh, find him? Uh, well, you know, I'm so I'm a huge hip hop nerd, so I always try to stay connected to what's what's new, what's hot. And you know, by the way, Taiga is half Vietnamese too, right? So I mean, I don't think that if this counts or not, but I grew up with Taiga as well. So, yeah. Oh, how did you grow up with Taiga? Well, you know, because it was hugely popular uh, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, right? I, mean, I didn't grow up; I was already uh, a grown grown man. I was in my twenties, but yeah, I listened to a lot of that stuff, right? And, and you know, to know that he was Vietnamese because I, I was already with Linda was like a plus. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Tiger doesn't rap about any Vietnamese uh, at all yeah, subjects, which I find uh, to be you know interesting because you know where along the line. Do you kind of make a decision? You know, I'm not going to rap about the things that I come from, or you know, I have the Vietnamese roots that I have, and you know, it's interesting to me that you don't, uh, as a, as an artist, you don't reflect on that in the music. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's like rap rap music is probably. I mean, you can like throw some references here and there, but on a you know all. On a general level, that is, you know, not the kind of music in which you are like sometimes you are not being very specific to the subjects, right? So like, you know, it's very uh 
by the numbers kind of message, right? And all that. So yeah, but you know, that is why uh, that is my my fault. I I don't know. Probably there are some great Viet rap artists out there out there. I'll just have to try to to find them and see, uh, you know, what they are capable of. So I don't know. <laughs> No, I, and I bring I'm no up, expert. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I bring this up because you know a lot. You know, there's a lot of Vietnamese Americans that were growing up in these neighborhoods, like I, I did. You know, and we have this strange connection to American hip hop. And you know, some people you don't even know, like you, you, like you, like if I look at you, there would be no way that I would be like, oh, you know, you're really into American hip hop. And there's some friends of ours that you know that are like you, you, you would never think, but there is this connection between american hip-hop and the way that a lot of the second generation viet diaspora in america grew up and there's a a really deep connection to the messaging of let's say for tupac or you know on the, on the east coast you know biggie at the time well you know here in italy i can speak only to that uh there is you know the the, the huge asian diasporas in italy are the chinese and the filipino diaspora and the Filipinos are, you know, especially when I grew up, because I grew up with, you know, some Filipino friends back in the days, they were a lot into that. Uh, they were like dressing, you know, they had all the dress code and all that. So I don't know if there is a connection here, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Now, when you did go to Vietnam, um, how long were you there for and what brought you there and what year did you go? Oh, so it was 2015. Uh, actually, I'm about to go back. I will hopefully, we will hopefully go back probably this this winter, and I'm looking forward to it because right now I have this you know completely different outlook on a lot of stuff. So, uh, so it was 2015. Uh, you know, I was, you know, I was already into the, the the history of the the war in Vietnam and all that. I was curious about it. I read a lot of stuff, uh, but then again, you know, that was before the sympathizer came out, and before that, I you know got deep into this uh you know this rabbit hole of the diasporic literatures of the diaspora uh, you know uh, uh so uh the thing that prompted uh, our trip was essentially that linda has never been never been there before oh wow so it was the first time for her yeah and you gotta keep in mind that her mother never went back not even once since 72 so she the linda's mother went in 72 and never yeah. returned she passed never. away Never. No, no, no. She's uh, she's still here. I'm uh, still trying to convince her to go well, back. Why doesn't, uh, why doesn't she want to go? She's probably scared, you know, uh, you know, of memories and all this. Because her relatives, actually, everyone, uh, he, her father, actually, you know, Linda's grandfather went back there and died there. He's uh, buried there in in, um, in Saigon, I think. Um, uh, and her brothers went back, and her brothers were in re-education camps. Uh, whereas my my mother-in-law, I mean, she experienced the war. She remembers a little bit of that, uh, but she, has, I mean, she she went to Italy. She she went to Italy before the end of the war uh, with a scholarship, right? Uh, and so you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's, I think it's it's personal. I mean, uh, I met other people that you know do not want to go back. Yeah, and you imagine the the realities that we create in our minds right you know my brother has been there for 20 years living there for 20 years and he still is he's living there right now he's still living there now 20 years and my father older brother was in the phoenix program cia 
he was in for 13 years in the re-education camp. But the reality of having sort of an uncle who was locked up there and then a nephew who's been living there for 20 years, completely different realities of what is, you know, what is life. Because when you think about the people who, like Linda's mother, who refuses to go back, because there's a lot of people in, in Southern California, Vietnamese Americans, same way. They, they refuse to to go back to a country that scarred them and traumatized them. But the reality is it's a completely different place now. I know. With completely different people, completely different rule sets that is not ex even in existence anymore. And, and I live in a world where in my mind, there's just so much freedom uh, in, in our mind and in intellectually to, we should be able to go back and experience with freedom in our mind to see what the reality is in another country that we left behind, you know, if, if that was the case, because there's, it's a, it's a brand new, it's a brand new place. If you think about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you know, when, when I, when I went there and I saw the skyscrapers and all that and the contradictions as well, you know, because yeah. you see like, yeah, you know, you look like Ho Chi Minh's face and then, you know, Starbucks, right? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> and, you uh, know, I, I just can't imagine limiting myself, you know, if I was, it's just how much trauma could there be in your mind that you cannot bring yourself to, and I understand it, I understand the pain and I empathize with it, but it's it's crazy when I when I think about the realities of, of how different the realities are for like the older folks who live through this trauma and they can't go back and deal with it. I mean, in a way it is as if she went back vicariously, you know, because we went seeing the places in which the both halves of the family grew up. Right. So we tried, you know, we, we found where the, the, the house uh, were, or, you know, uh, the school, all this kind of stuff. Uh, and we, we, we took pictures, right. And we spoke to people. So it was like, you know, it was crazy, especially for Linda, of course, right? She, because, you know. She, Linda and, was born in Italy? Yeah, yeah. She was born in Italy in 1990. And the crazy thing is that she was born on April 29. And she was born out of a C-section because her father didn't want her to be born on April 30, right? Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> that is crazy. Right, that is uh, a crazy detail. I have a lot of crazy anecdotes about her family. That is weird about those, but this is one of my favorite. Yeah, I, I was like, "Why are you bringing up the C-section?" And then you drop the bomb. You're like, "Oh, because they don't want it." I mean, I think that you know, to be, I, I don't want to, you know, exaggerate the anecdote. I probably was, you know, uh, I was a due for a C-section, uh, uh, nonetheless. Right, it was uh, already in program, but you know. The possibility of choosing the day still, <laughs> you know. Wow. And and her father uh, is the son of the, the former ambassador to the Vatican, to uh, Italy. Now, and Spain. Exactly. And Spain. Yeah. Wow. And, Spain. and uh, is is her, her grandfather probably passed away many yeah. years ago. Yeah, and I never so met him, actually. Yeah. Was, was Linda's father uh, born in Italy? No. Uh, Linda's, fa Linda's father was born in 1943 in Hue. It was then French in the China. And he's actually half Vietnamese. Oh, wow. His, his mother was a German woman. They met in Paris in the 1930s. You know, they had this 
crazy romantic affair, you know, Vietnamese man. Uh, uh, it was a student, I think, a math student. And he was from the, he was connected to the imperial family, actually. Mm -hmm. I think that he, he can claim a descendants to uh, Emperor Min Mang. But then again, a lot of people can do that because Min Mang had a lot of concubines, you know. So, <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah. Uh, so you, uh, you know, they had like all these children there in Paris in the 1930s, half Vietnamese children, and she was a German woman in the 1930s. Okay, Nazi Germany. So you know, wow, that's a big, that's a big deal. So they they went back to uh, France into China 1939, right on time for World War II. Uh, and then they resettled in Hanoi. And, uh, and I think that they grew up there during the French War, uh, you know, this mixed kids. Uh, uh, um, and then 54, Operation Passage to Freedom, they go to Saigon. And then I don't know how, because I think that Linda's grandfather, his name was Don, by the way, uh, he was, I think that he has some mutual uh, connection. Uh, he ended up being the Minister of Education in the government, South Vietnamese government, you know, the first government. Uh, and then they resettled to, to Rome in 1958 because he became the ambassador, was appointed the ambassador, right? And Ziem, uh, Ziem's uh, 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 niece, you know, the daughter of uh, Madame Nhu, was actually the high school sweetheart of my father-in-law. They were in love, yeah. Uh, and so, uh, because Madame Nhu, of course, she died in Rome, you know that? Um, yes. Yeah. So yeah, they tried to 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 meet with her uh, uh, before she passed, and she she didn't want to to see them. You know, she never she didn't not even open the door. You know, because she was you know alone in her pain and sorrow and paranoia and all that. So anyway, uh, 1960, uh, 1963, uh, there is the coup. ZM and Nhu were housed and killed, uh, and Linda's grandfather, I think, you know, essentially switched sides because he, he stayed the ambassador for uh, an additional three years oh wow but then but i don't know what happened you know was a very very private man he never left i mean he left some writings i should probably have to to read but to my knowledge you know i mean you know it was very very reserved and uh, um so yeah 66 he is ousted himself because uh nguyen van Thieu, president Thieu, uh replace replaced him with his brother i think uh, and so, you know, this uh, this guy, you know, uh, I mean, he, he, he retired. So he stayed in Rome from 66 to six to 75, you know, with the pension and all that. But then he 75. Brings his, he brings his children. Many of them, the uh, uh, I think that uh, uh, two of them were in France studying. Uh, his children, they were already there. I mean, my, my father-in-law grew up in, in Italy. Uh, I mean, he stayed in Vietnam until 58. So for like uh, his adolescence, I mean, he lived in Hanoi uh, and Saigon. But then he resettled to Rome in '58, and uh, oh, wow. he lived there ever since. But uh, and it was crazy because he was like, you know, this jeunesse dorée kind of thing that they had, you know, the sports car and all that. You know, they were like living the life, you know, because they were, I mean, the sons of the ambassador, right? So splurging, right? <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, uh, uh, what happened was that uh, uh, in '75, uh, uh, of course, uh, South Vietnam collapses, so no pension anymore. And so uh, Linda's grandfather and his kids as well, they had to, uh, you know, to uh, make to make do, to, to make a living. So they become extras in the Italian movie industry. They became the Asian everyman in every single motion picture ever shot in Italy in those years. No and the crazy thing, Kenneth, is that they had to play, sometimes they had to play the Viet Cong. 
and and there is this crazy here this, this rich here hear me out there is this this movie that came out i don't know in the 70s was like this french movie about a, a fictional chinese invasion of paris and you have like uh uh, uh it was called the chinois paris i think and you have like Lin's grandfather the south vietnamese ambassador playing a chinese communist cadre right <laughs> this, what year was this i don't know 70 something uh, i mean after, the guy is after, 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 after 75 yeah after 75 i mean you can find them every in every single movie like you know from b movies to 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 you know to masterpieces uh all over the place and the only uh, there is this this crazy thing this crazy anecdote there is like uh the italian uh, um um screen player that uh, wrote uh, many of the, the the masterpieces of italian neorealism his name was cesare zabattini he wrote uh shoe shine he wrote uh bicycle thieves all these classics, uh, he made just one movie as a movie director. Uh, and in this movie, uh, he asked Linda's grand grandfather, uh, uh, literally kicking him in the butt. So, you know, like, I don't know why that's like a random thing. You have like this, the former South Vietnamese ambassador kicking the creator of Italian neorealism in the butt. And I can go on for years. You know, we have like some, some crazy anecdotes, right? Yeah. Crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. And there's just the father side of the family. There's also the mother side of the family, and you know, uh, and there's this 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 crazy anecdote that there is this uh, one of the first Vietnamese American uh, 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 works, one of the first Vietnamese American literary works that had a little bit of success. And uh, this is 1994. Uh, was also featured in Time magazine, and uh, many people know knows that is called South Wind Changing. You ever heard of that? No. Mm -mm. Uh, the author is, uh, uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, but you know, this is one of the, the, the sources for the sympathizer, uh, is, is in the acknowledgement of the sympathizer is a reeducation camp memoir, partly a reeducation camp memoir. Uh, but many people, you know, in the nose, they had read that. Uh, and, uh, so, uh, I, I bought this book. I started reading this book because it was, of course, one of the sources for the sympathizer. And halfway through this book, I, I started realizing some, that, you know, there was something odd with it. It's like, okay, like the, the, the guy, the memoirist and his friend, they come from Sadek. It's the same place. It's the birthplace of my mother-in-law. It's like, well, yeah, you know, it's a relatively big city. Many people come from there. So, you know, who cares? But then, you know, the story says that this guy, you know, the best friend of the memoirist, he resettled to Rome. And this like a statistical impossibility, right? <laughs> and I discover, Kenneth, I discovered that this memoir, half of this memoir was about Linda's family. And no one knew that. And did you tell but, Linda's family? Yeah, I made like 40 people buy this book, you know? And did they realize and, that this was about their yeah, family? Yeah. And it did was they about know Linda's the uncle? Uh, I'm still trying to, to, to reach this guy. So I don't know where, where he ended up. But but I does know. the family recognize like yeah. this man is a real person that they knew? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there's about I mean there are a couple of uh, mistakes in in the book. Like uh, it says that Linda's grandfather, maternal grandfather, passed away. Where he, in fact he passed away in 2013. Uh, it was the mother, a grandmother, that passed away. Uh, but uh, except for that, I mean the, the 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 portrait is very faithful. That's her family, and uh, yeah. I mean, you know, that's, uh, I mean, it was a Time Magazine book for some time. So, I mean, it's not, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a well, you know, when Giacomo, when you reached out to me um, through uh, 
uh, through social media and you know the first time I was just telling a friend of mine the other day about uh, our meeting and I was so happy to to hear that there is an Italian man you know doing a PhD in Vietnamese American literature and yes of course I would love to meet with you and and you know we met up in uh, little Saigon Orange County a few uh, months ago and it was such a delightful meeting and you know from the minute I sat down with you in the coffee shop I knew that there was a lot of things that you uh, you had to say about the the Vietnamese American history and and the diaspora and you know you did not disappoint today I really appreciate you coming on and sharing and you know from these little bits of pieces of information and nuggets of, of, of history, uh, we as the Vietnamese diaspora get to expand a little bit as we go on living. So thank you so much for coming on today. I mean, it's a honor for me. You know, I'm a huge fan of your show. I literally, you know, during the pandemic, when I was trying to study all this stuff, you know, I just had to rely on every single kind of information because I was like, you know, the Vietnamese podcast, let's listen to it. And I listened to every single episode and you enlarged my mind. I mean, you gave me a lot of directions. So yeah, when I was, you know, visiting the little Saigon, the first time, the four little Saigons I've been, so Orange County, San Jose, Houston, Texas, Falls Church, I already had all this knowledge, partly even because of your podcast. So thank you, Kenneth, and thank you for doing this. You know, not only for the Vietnamese people that listens to your podcast, but especially for the non-Vietnamese people, even with extended families connected to the diaspora, because that is important. It's very important. Thank you so much, Giacomo. And I hope that we can get... Uh... Uh, hopefully, you know, part of Linda's family, uh, perhaps onto the podcast. I'd love to hear about the Italian cinema side because, you know, obviously that's uh, a big interest of mine to hear, you know, that side of the family and the history uh, within the Italian cinema space. Oh, yeah. I think that would be very, uh, especially my father in law will be very happy to, to do that. Yeah. So wonderful. Whenever you want. Thanks again, Giacomo. Thank you, Kenneth. Again, it's a honor. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. Special thanks to Brittany Tran, to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast.